Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, welcome to today's program. We have got a program lined up for you as we always try to put together something that really benefits you as our listener and educates, informs, and we hope we entertain you a little bit. I want to remind you, if you've got a question for us, just type it to J-I-M, Jim, to our text line, 901-683-0989, or you can send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We've got two questions we're going to answer later on in the program, and uh, we hope that they'll benefit you as our listener. And the first person we've got lined up for you today is Rusty Leonard. He is the president and CEO of Stewardship Partners, and he's going to give us an economic update. And then Scott's going to talk about some very basic fundamentals of investing and really probably do his own thing about just really what he thinks about the economy. And that's always a pleasant thing to hear from the two of these guys about what's going on, because there is a ton of information being thrown at us from the media. We want to make sure we uh, understand it. And that's exactly what these two guys are going to do. Shannon Dyson's in the second half of the program. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about strategies that employees have about how to lower their health care costs. And he got into dealing with the pharmacy manager. And we got as far as we could, but now he's going to come back and he's going to give us some very basic ideas. In fact, he's going to talk about pay for performance. And that is so critical because when you look at what we have, what we're spending today on health care costs, there's a lot of waste. He's going to give us a number about what the United States is spending, about $21 billion on medication. Ready for this? Mistakes. We're going to talk about that. So that's the program lined up. But first and foremost, let me welcome the CEO and founder of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, Mr. Rusty Leonard, a frequent guest of ours. Welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you. As always, it's a pleasure to be with you, Jim. Well, it's great to have you on, the guy. With all the stuff going on, I have to mention the headline from our illustrious president last week. And I should have said that illustrious because he is the president of the United States. I respect him. I respect the office. But the use of the word Armageddon, when he talks about nuclear weapons uh, in Ukraine, what maybe Putin may do, I mean, what should we be reacting to the word of the use of the word Armageddon and nuclear weapons? And how should we be preparing, sir? Well, first of all, uh, our illustrious president probably shouldn't have used those words. Uh, his, uh, the president of France chastised him for you know, bringing that word into the, uh, into the equation. It's just heightening, heightening the, the risk whenever you start throwing this, those types of words out. We need, we need somebody who's a little bit more calm and level-headed than, uh, than throwing that stuff out there. But nevertheless, the, the nuclear risk is there. Putin has certainly threatened it over and over again. And it's something that investors uh, sadly have to contend with, and uh, it's not an easy thing to contend with, obviously. So we're we're concerned about that, but you know you try to sit back and think more level-headedly about it. And uh, Putin himself knows that the consequences of going down that path are probably pretty bad for him. For him, and he's already in a bad, bad spot. Uh, so the I just don't think it's likely that he would go down that path. But if he did, we also have to remember that. These are, we're talking about tactical nuclear weapons, 
seems to be the main threat, uh, although I guess others are possibly uh, in the scope of what could happen too. But, uh, you know, that is something that would be it would sound uglier than it actually would be. Obviously, for anybody near the the bomb site, it would be a, a big problem. But it's not something. It's not a uh, Hiroshima or Nagasaki type nuclear weapon. It's much more localized, and uh, so I'm not quite sure it would be quite the uh, disaster. Just from uh, you know, if, it, if a tactical nuke was actually used, that people probably fear, but it would uh, bring back, uh, bring into the. the the realm of, okay, how do we react to this, right? And uh, then we don't know. I think it's the reaction we should be fearing more so than the actual use of a, a tactical nuke. Yeah. Because uh, how the West would react to that could bring us into World War Three. Yeah, I think that's a bit of concern a lot of people is how we react. And of course, again, it's a, it is a, it is a rhetoric. It's just noise. And yet it's, we have to deal with it in reality. But let's look at something that's close to home and the reality of our economy and the struggle and some of the things that are happening and you know we talk about threats of nuclear weapons but the reality threat of inflation and actually i was reading something recently that three three possible i guess you might say instead of easing inflation might even heighten inflation that's iran and the strike that's going on there with the oil guys you know the the workers on the oil rigs the 8.7 percent increase in social security and the potential possibility now that we've got the railroad strike back on the table because of pushback all of these in my opinion and i think a lot of people would agree feeds a little bit of the inflation problem uh, yeah, it doesn't help. That's for sure. Now, these are uh, other than Iran, perhaps are, are minor uh, issues, but they are indicative of a larger issue that is sweeping across the nation, like the railroad strike. Right? You're going to see you're seeing unionization pick up all over the place, which of course immediately leads to higher costs for business, and therefore those costs are passed along. So those those trends, which have been favorable for three four decades, are now turning, and it's a, a big question as to whether or not they will you know, continue to move in the wrong direction. If so, the Fed's got a lot more work to do on raising interest rates and, and really crushing that before it gets a chance to to get get going. So, yeah, that's a big concern. Uh, and inflation isn't doing anything yet that uh, is, re- you know, reducing those concerns. The re- most recent report this morning on wholesale prices was higher than expected. And really, we've gotten some uh, reports recently on inflation that it's kind of leveled off at a high high level, uh, so it's not accelerating further, but uh, those risks are still out there, and we need to be very vigilant and you know keeping an eye on that. You know, Rusty, you talk about recession or inflation, and I know you know there's been comments that maybe we are in a, in a recession and maybe we're not in a recession. I think you believe that we're not really probably into a bull, you know, real follow, you know, recession. But we could soon be there. Now, when you talk about that, you got stock prices, bond prices. I mean, obviously down, lows. You know, 22 has been a tough year for us. Gold, cryptocurrencies. Everything seems to be, you know, really struggling. Now, from a long-term focus, what should somebody who's very disciplined, who really wants to do, you know, stay in the market, should they be at this point ready to get back into the market or jump into the market? Or what should what should that long-term investor be thinking about with all the news of everything going south? Yeah, and it is. I mean, everything is It's not a great environment from a headline perspective. But, of course, that is the time when wise investors are paying close attention and looking for their entry opportunity. Uh, so, you know, if you have been fortunate enough, like Storcher Partners, to be mostly on the sidelines this year and, and uh, 
have done well, uh, then you want to, now's the time where you should not be resting on your laurels, but you should be really focusing very, very hard on when you're, when you're going to enter, re-enter this market. It's not an easy uh, decision to make. Nobody ever gets it 100% right. Uh, you could argue, and I, I wouldn't argue, if you argue with me, I would not argue back if you said, listen, just put your money in now. Uh, enough of the sell-off has occurred. We don't know where the ultimate bottom will be, but, uh, you know, you're close enough, so just ju- go ahead and jump in if you're a long-term investor. I wouldn't give you a big argument on that. I think that's probably accurate. But if you're a little more sensitive to uh, shorter-term uh, movements in the market, there, there could very well be uh, some additional downside, and it may be quite significant uh, downside. We're not quite sure exactly how much of this recession risk has been uh, discounted by the market, and we'll probably get to, to know very shortly how much because I think co- – Corporations are going to be coming out in their second quarter results and you know, warning investors about lower earnings and, and the struggles they're seeing on the economic front. Well, are you expecting, I mean, these reports are going to be, you feel like the reports are going to be tough reports? And that, you know, I mean, I've heard everybody talk about the fact that, you know, the earnings are down and here's the reasons. I mean, they just, they got a ton of reasons. What, what do you feel from a standpoint, are, are they legitimate reasons? Or, you know, I'm not trying to question what a corporation is saying to the public, but my reality is, do you feel like that there is as big a struggle with earnings as so the media may say to us today? Oh, yeah. There, there is definitely a, a struggle in earnings. And let me give you the, the easiest way to know that we're going to see some uh, difficult earnings announcements as we go th- over the course of the next month. Uh, about 40% of the revenues of the average company in the S&P 500 come from overseas. And the U.S. dollar has been as strong as it's been in the last couple of decades. So that what that means is even if those companies overseas continue to earn roughly the same amount of money as they did last quarter, it gets translated into lower earnings when it's brought back into the U.S. because of the strength of the dollar. So uh, the dollar uh, actually hurts S&P 500 companies because they have so much in overseas earnings. That's particularly true of the technology sector, which is probably still the most expensive sector in the market. So th- there's some you know, downside risk just from the dollar. Then you, then you go to, and, that, and the dollar is a function of the higher interest rates. As, as the Fed raises interest rates, it attracts people to the dollar. Uh, then, of course, it also creates a recession. Uh, the strong dollar helps create a recession. The higher interest rates help create a recession. Uh, all those things, will, that's a second order problem that the investors are gonna have to deal with over the next six months. So, yeah, there's, there's good reasons for there to be uh, a recession uh, economically and certainly in corporate earnings. All right. I guess the thought being, I mean, I'm sensing as you go through this, there's a lot of things. What about housing right now? When you think about all the things that's going on, whether it's earnings, whether it's, you know, the dollar strengthening, of course, and that can be, as you say, negative in, in, in some instances. But what about real estate? I mean, the real estate, housing is definitely slowed. I mean, there's been no question the sell of a house today has slowed dramatically, but the prices, you know, I mean, the reality is, Rusty, prices haven't come down. So what do you see for the next six months to 18 months with the housing? Yeah, I think uh, we'll see more of the same. Also, uh, the Fed, I think, is you know, probably targeting housing at, to some extent uh, to try to cool the economy off. Uh, but you and I both are old enough, sadly, <laughs> to remember the last time inflation was uh, you know, around these levels. And uh, house prices, actually, everybody went to buy a house because houses were viewed as inflation protection. And house prices continued to rise during that inflationary event uh, back in the 70s and early 80s. So uh, it may be that we see less activity 
and not that much of a, of a price impact on housing because to a certain extent housing is an inflation uh, protected asset. Uh, but I do think we'll see, especially where house prices got into a bubble range, uh, there are certain regions of the country where it just got insane. You've already seen pretty sharp declines, and you'll probably see sharper declines, and that, that wouldn't be surprising at all. But for probably most of us, our house prices probably won't get cratered. At least I'm hopeful of that. Well, that makes sense there. Yeah, I hope you're exactly right. I was talking to someone yesterday, the reality being that, you know, we have, housing got so out of sync. I mean, it was so high, and so now we're seeing it, you know, but it still hadn't come down, but it, but you think it, we hope it doesn't go start down and get to sliding and all of a sudden crashes. So let me ask this question. Speaking of real estate and the, the reality, I mean, right now, the U.S. seems better positioned as far as all the difficult things going on. We, we can go into that in greater detail if we ever have time, but but let me ask you this. Real estate, as far as China, they're in a bubble, that we're, and that's crashing. You take that into, you know, in the, in the situation yep. with what's going on in China. You got Europe facing a big recession when it comes to the, you know, energy shortage and all the things going there. So with all the things happening, I mean, you, I mean, you could just go on and on and on worldwide. What's your take when it comes to these problems worldwide? Are they going to end up? pushing us into a problem that we really don't expect or or is this something we just have to say okay i understand that but we we're not immune to it but it's not going to kill us yeah i would say it's not going to kill us but we certainly feel wounded um you know at the heart of all this is the fed making the huge mistake last year and a little earlier than that even on the inflation front now they're going through this catch-up phase they're raising rates very, very quickly. And what happens in a typical cycle is that the Fed raises rates until something breaks somewhere and there's some feedback into the to the Fed saying, hey, you've pushed it too far. That almost happens every single rate rising cycle that they, they've done over, over time. Usually you think of what they break is not inside the United States uh, oftentimes, but oftentimes it can be outside the United States. So something like Argentina or Indonesia or something, you know, some country who has too much debt all of a sudden is, you know, bankrupt or near bankruptcy. And that's what, how things break. Uh, this time around, we're seeing uh, all kinds of problems. Uh, and there's, it's going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out. Uh, but oddly, one of the first problems that arose was the U.K., so it seems like the Fed broke the U.K. Uh, sooner than Argentina or Indonesia, which is a little bit alarming, but it also reflects some of the internal politics that are going on in the U.K. as well. There's, it's not just the Fed. But um, nevertheless, uh, that's a little alarming that the U.K. should be suffering. The U.K. currency has crashed. Uh, their economy is looking very, very weak. Their political uh, situation is highly unstable. Uh, and so the U.K. is one of the first things that the Fed has, has broken and uh, that feedback will be coming fast and hard to the Fed. And one of the things that may cause the markets to rebound, even if only in a short-term situation, is the Fed saying something somewhere along the line that they are relenting or they're going to slow the pace of their increases, what has become known as the Fed pivot. Everybody's looking to know when the Fed is going to pivot away from doing uh, this very rapid uh, rate increase to catch up from the mistake they made last year. And if they pivot tomorrow, which is possible, stock market will, will jump. And if they pivot in three months, the stock market will probably suffer for those three months until they pivot. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate you bringing that into the point of this pivot idea. The idea that they've been walking in sync for so long, and you talked about the mistake they made in August of last year, or actually earlier than that, but all of a sudden you hear the Chicago Fed chairman, the vice chairman, uh, Brainerd, I believe she's, it's what she's called, she's all of a sudden pushed back on some yeah. of the things, this hawkish mentality. Uh, what's your take with her? Uh, well, overall, uh, the Fed has been in my mind, remarkably uh, consistent with saying, hey, we're, we're still putting the screws to you guys. And, you know, the, the idea is they know they have to do that. They have to get share prices down. They have to get housing prices down. They have to get all these things going in the opposite direction in order to cut inflation off at the knees, or actually probably more at the waist since they let it get away from them so much, right? So they, uh, they have to go, uh, they have to continue with harsh rhetoric. Uh, they, I think, I don't know exactly how the Fed uh, communication strategy works. It's a great mystery. But I think what they try to do is have like three guys go out and say, you know, nasty stuff to the market and then have one person come out and say something a little bit less nasty or maybe even semi-positive to try to keep things from just, you know, falling apart <laughs> right away. Uh, they try to keep you off balance, a little insecure about what they're actually going to do next. But uh, the overall tenor of the Fed comments have been surprisingly uh, strong in continuing down the current path, including something I read just this morning from one of the Fed governors. That's good. Okay. All right. Appreciate that. Then, all right. The big question on a lot of people's mind, the midterm elections, um, they're up, coming up in November. Uh, what are you thinking is going to be the impact as far as the market's concerned this year? I mean, we've always seen the market come out of the end midterm elections positive. Do you see that again? Yeah, I think I think so because you know it seems to me that's almost a fait accompli that the Republicans will win back the House, and by doing so, you'll prevent the the most crazy aspects of the Biden agenda from ever being implemented. You'll you'll basically you know Biden's second half of his term, uh, he wasn't very successful in the first half of his term, but he'll have no chance of pushing anything forward in the second half of his term if the Republicans control the House. And so that will be viewed by the markets as a positive, probably. Uh, markets tend to like split governments. And uh, so, yeah, it may be that uh, you're already coming up on this kind of heightened bearish mentality that, you know, usually you only see very close to a bottom. Uh, you throw some uh, election results in there that really keep the government uh, from doing some of the most crazy things uh, investors might fear. Well, then, you know, you, you have a uh, you have a good potion there for a nice recovery at some point in time in the not too distant future. Hopefully. Yeah, that's a great point. So recovery. Okay. I, I've not said this and I need to. I'm talking with, of course, Rusty Leonard, CFA founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council. And Rusty, you always do a great job. My last question. Okay. In the last three months of the year, if they're normal, your best three months typically for stocks. Should we see that in the last three months of this year, the last quarter, first six months of next year? I mean, I know the election. You just explained that. But what are you predicting for the next, say, six months, three months, six months? What do you see? Well, I'm, I'm yeah, it's always very, very difficult to predict the short term future or any future, <laughs> right? It's very difficult to predict. But, the, uh, but uh, my hope is that we actually do have a crisis of sorts in the next you know, a little while, very short period of time, uh, before the end of October. October is the month where bear markets go to die. If you look back at uh, history, there's a lot of big crises 
in October where the markets sell off very dramatically, but that's when they hit their low and start the next big bull market. So I'm kind of hoping that before the end of this month, we have a similar type situation arise where maybe the UK does spin out of control for a while and the whole global financial uh, marketplace is really turned on its head for a bit and, uh, or Credit Suisse, you know, the big Swiss bank does actually have some real problems and, you know, has a, a layman type moment. If something like that happens uh, here in the short term, we could have a very good end of the year because we could have that final uh, cathartic sell-off and then a big big recovery from that into the end of the year and even beyond. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Uh, for my portfolios, you know, we're, we, we're at Search of Partners. We're positioned to take advantage of that because we have a lot of cash on the sidelines. That's A great. lot of cash on the sidelines. And we're just you know, getting kind of antsy to put it to work. Well, I appreciate your comments, of course. And always you do a great job helping us understand with an economic update. And I thank you for doing that, predicting a little bit of the future. I mean, hey, I know you're, you know, that's okay. It's short term, but hey, you're good at it, partner. You're very good at it. You've been listening, of course, to Rusty Leonard, certified financial analyst, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partner Investment Council. Does a great job for us. And we thank you, Rusty. You have a great day, sir. And again, we'll have you back after the election as we get into the heat of what's going on for the third and fourth, I mean, the fourth quarter and the first of next year. Thank you, sir. Sounds good. Look forward to it. All right, man. Coming up, we've got Scott Jordan. He's got two questions that he's going to answer that you have asked. What about a Roth IRA? Should I keep it? And the one I have, or should I be doing something else? And how do I pay off a home mortgage? And you'd think that's a pretty simple answer, but uh, you've got to do a little planning to make the right decision. Scott's going to dive into that and then talk about some fundamentals to prepare you for what's happening in the fourth quarter of this year. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Rusty Leonard. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Financial professionals don't provide specific tax or legal advice. Investors' anticipated tax bracket in retirement will determine if a Roth or traditional retirement account will provide more money. Generally, investors in a higher tax bracket at retirement relative to their current bracket while making Roth contributions benefit more than an investor in a lower tax bracket at retirement. For a Roth IRA, earnings withdrawn before age 59 and a half and or not meeting a five-year holding period may incur a 10% penalty plus income tax. After-tax contributions are generally returned income tax-free. However, for Roth conversions, if converted amounts aren't held for five years, distribution may incur a 10% penalty. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. The S&P 500 is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
Welcome back. I want to remind you that if you listen and you are a faithful listener of ours, or if you just join us for the first time, you can simply send us a question that you may have by typing in JIM to our text line, 901-683-0989, or you can send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Let's start, Scott. Scott Jordan, certified financial planner, always a Great guest that we have, very frequent. I mean, some people say, why do I need to be here? You're you're the guy, and that's the way it is, and don't say any comment. I don't Don't even that touch that. <laughs> don't touch that. Here's the question. I don't know the name, and so I'm just going to say from Mr. John, should I keep the Roth IRA that I have? His current advisor had said, you don't need it. It's about $30,000, and he said, no, you ought to just cash it in or whatever. Uh, didn't make sense, but just for our general listening audience, what do you need a Roth for and what about, you know, is now a good time to convert from an IRA to a Roth? Well, we get this question a lot. And, you know, when you, I want to first talk about what is a Roth IRA compared to a traditional IRA. A lot of people have Roth and traditional IRAs. And then also inside of their retirement plans at work, they may have the ability to either do pre-tax contributions or post-tax Roth contributions. So with a traditional IRA in general, you're putting money back pre-tax. And then when you pull that money out in the future, ideally in retirement, you'll pay taxes on the money then. The Roth kind of flips that around. The Roth says, I'm going to go ahead and pay taxes on my money today. But if I leave that money in the Roth, and there's some there's some stipulations around that, you know, 59 and a half, the Roth has to be in place for five years. But if all that's in place, you can pull that money out tax-free during retirement. So the big decision is, do I want to pay taxes today or pay taxes in the future? Now, I'm not sure why anybody would tell anybody to get rid of a Roth. I mean, I, I, I don't understand that. I'd like to hear a little more about that because I wouldn't, I would, now again, this is a unique situation to different people. So whether you should have or not have is very personalized. If you've already got the Roth in place, I, I wouldn't see any reason to get rid of that unless possibly they were needing some, some money for something right now. And that may be a good place to tap for it. Now, in general, I know when we counsel people, we like to tell people we like to get you retire to retirement with different tax buckets. You know, maybe there's a, a pre-tax bucket, there's a there's a Roth bucket or a tax-free bucket, and then maybe a taxable bucket. So if you can get to retirement and you have your assets in different tax buckets like that, it gives you a lot more opportunity to do tax planning in retirement versus having everything pre-tax and then every dollar you pull out is going to get taxed. Now, Having money retire on is having money retire on. Well, so if you have to pay taxes on it, that's not that's not the, the, the biggest issue. But doing some planning, you can really uh, be wise to have those buckets spread out. And like I think that. the key with you talk about be wise having the buckets, but the reality is having multiple options. Right. And the Roth brings you a, a different options. It does. It does. That's and I think you asked about conversion as well. That is, right? that is something you can still do under the tax law. And that's where you take your traditional IRA, take money out of that and convert it to a Roth and go ahead and pay the taxes today. And I would say, again, that's a question that's very personalized, not knowing their tax bracket today versus in the future and all that. It's hard to give a, a good answer, do or don't do this. There's no right or wrong answer to that. But I think you have to sit down and, and, and look at the, at the situation and, and where you think tax rates are going to be in the future. Again, if you think 
you can pay taxes at a lower rate today than you're possibly going to pay in the future. It may make sense. may make sense. And again, with the market being down, you're pulling less money out. Right. You're investing it again. It grows back up. It's going to grow tax. So there's all kind of things, but it is personalized. It very much And so. again, if you got that type of question, this is when you need to call Scott and just simply call him at 757-5757. Second question now, Scott, and I, and I think it was a great question. Should I pay off my mortgage? And he's got a low interest rate, I'm assuming. And, and again, this is one of those personal question, it is, but it's, it, is. Uh, it, it pays into everybody being, what is it that fits to you, but can you give me a general understanding of should I pay off the mortgage? Yeah, and you know, you kind of said this. It is a very personalized question. I, I go back to kind of our principles when we look at financial planning, you know, spend less than you earn, avoid or minimize debt, build margin or liquidity, set long-term goals, and give generously. That second one, avoid or minimize debt, would, would lead kind of to that, okay, let's, let's pay off all debt. But I think when it comes to the mortgage, it's a little more nuanced than that, right? Because it is you got to kind of look at your whole financial situation. I've seen people dedicate all their energy toward paying off a mortgage, and, and by the time they get that done, they don't have a lot of money socked away anywhere else or any saved. So I think there's a balance there. But in general, yes, I like paying off debt. But if if that debt is was, say, financed you know, last year when mortgage rates were 275 there can be some situations where it may make sense to do something else with your money for a little while. But again, I think you really have to look at your overall financial picture. You know, we all have a certain amount of dollars. What's the most efficient thing to do with them? And really, you know, that is really dictated by our goals. What are we trying to accomplish? And paying off the mortgage may, may be one of those. And I always tell people this too, though. There, there's the math of that because it can make sense to say, oh, I'd rather invest my money over here and earn more because this is a low interest rate mortgage. But there's also the psychology or the emotions behind it. A lot of people just feel better having that mortgage paid off. And if that's your ultimate goal, then I think, yes, it makes sense to really put some effort towards that. You know, a lot of people do that with the thought of, well, when I retire, I'm just using 65, I'm going to retire at 65. I don't want to have a mortgage yet. That's a personal thing. It is. And it's Absolutely. You know, not a planning yep. tool. It's just a, this is personal. I don't right. want to have right. that debt. What, what I guess I suspect that I would share with people is not, if you've got a hundred thousand dollars, don't dump the whole hundred thousand dollars in. Make sure you have some of that saved. Maybe it's just set up a systematic payment plan that you're going to target and do it at age sixty-five. Say my yep. target date sixty-five. I've got ten, fifteen, twenty years, and move towards that. I, I think that brings up an excellent point because because we go back to those those financial disciplines we want to have in place. You know, we talk about setting up liquidity or emergency fund. Well, if you dump all of your money into your house paying off that mortgage, and you have a situation where you need some money, well, now you either you don't really have access That's to it, right. right? You got to go borrow it back out in order to do that. You have and the to interest qualify. rate may be high. Interest rates like today ha have gone up. So you want to be mindful of all that. That's why I say it's not a decision that's, that is made in isolation. You know, I always say there are no independent financial decisions. You no. always have to look at the big picture and go, okay, if I do this over here, I can't do this over here. So which makes the most sense to me in my situation? But if you happen to have a question for us, let me just tell you how to send it to us. Send it to J-I-M, Jim, to the text line, 901-683-0989. Or you can send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Well, Scott, you've done a great job with those two questions. We hope that they understand we're here to answer their questions. But let's talk about what we heard from Rusty. I mean, Rusty was, uh, I think, I, I sense that positive in Rusty because I have heard him be a little negative. 
sensed a little bit of <laughs> well, negative, me, but I, I said I, a little I think, bit of positive. I, I think, I mean, you know, the reality, he's, he's being real. He's, he's being, being he's real, being real he's about the situation. He's being real. Yeah. And I think the best thing that I can say is when you think about what he's telling us and the reality of, uh, you know, the economy is not perfect. It's, right. it's chugging along. You know, nuclear weapons is a possibility. I mean, all those things he goes through and the feds is at least he says the fed is speaking in, you know, kind of the mindset of one tongue. It's really yeah. not always that way. I appreciate that he said, we're not sure exactly how they communicate. I like that. But Rusty's got a lot of experience and he's, he was optimistic for the last period, this this fourth quarter, and for the beginning of next year, because historically that's been the case. What was your take? I, I think I'm glad he ended on that note because as he started talking, and, and I I wrote this down, they said I, I kind of hope for a crisis in October, and I thought, <laughs> yeah. wow, Rusty, well, <laughs> not so much me, but I understand what he meant exactly. by that. Is we have to get to that point where everybody. You know, where, where, you know, most of the stuff we fear never happens. So if we can get to the point where the stuff we fear either has happened or it's not going to happen, people can get back to investing. So I, th- I think that's what he meant by that. And, and I, I saw a little, little, little light of optimism at the end <laughs> well, of that you, dark Well, he's tunnel. talking about capitulation. It's where we yes. kind of throw the towel in and they're frustrated. You know, the bull bear ratio right now says that people are very frustrated with the market. They're very frustrated with the news media and what's being thrown at us a lot. So that's what you're talking about. That kind of the crisis he's saying, get the capitulation over with right. so that we can have a very solid jump in the fourth fourth quarter of November and December, which well, this, we normally this have. Is a, this is a very anticipated recession. If, yes. if we're in one, if we're going into one, I mean, I, you know, again, we won't know that until we look back in history, really, but it's been very anticipated. I mean, we heard, you know, CEOs and big banks coming out recently right. going, hey, we're about to go into a recession. So very anticipated. Um, I've read some economists who think we're kind of in what they call a rolling recession, where right. it's hit different parts of the economy. I mean, Obviously, in housing, we've seen that slow tremendously. Uh, retail, we're seeing inventories build up. So there's a possibility we go through a rolling recession like that, and it never hits that full-blown recession status. Because, well, I think there's mixed signals out there. You know, we look at we look at things like unemployment. We look at consumer spending and go, well, that all still looks really good. But then there's some other, you know, you look at the leading in economic indicators, the housing starts and things like that, and they're they're showing some stress signals. So I think there's mixed messages in the economy, but still looking good underneath the surface in a lot of areas. Well, you've got unemployment at 3.5%. Right. You've got an increase in Social Security of over 8%. I mean, right. that's a huge amount of money. That and the consumer be... is still spending. That's right. And that's why we have the inflationary problems. Exactly. And the Fed is trying to cool that off. So some of this slowing down... Uh, is absolutely on purpose. I mean, they are trying to slow the economy down to try to get price stability back into the picture. When you talk about fundamentals of investing, sir, I want you to just cover, and here's the one that I want us to nail today, and that is being the emotional investor. We talk about that a lot. We do. But but it's so critical. It, yesterday, we had a conversation with a, a senior couple, and uh, as they were, were going through that, you know, they were, they were very... Uh, thankful that mm-hmm. we were helping them get through the right. the noise and that's that's what becomes so difficult you know you let's let's go to you know i i like what rusty said about if you have cash you may want to start looking at putting it to work but let's talk about the investor who doesn't have cash and they're invested for the long term how does this affect them and that's where those emotions can really start to take over that fear that panic and that panic selling 
And we kind of, you know, we, we succumb to our own worst instincts when we do that. So we always caution people about letting, you know, whether it's the headlines or anything else, get you to that emotional state where, where you make a decision that's going to derail your long-term strategy based on a little bit of short-term pain. Because let's go back to what Rusty said. You know, the one thing that recessions have in common is they all come to an end at some point. Some point. And we all, I mean, historically, now again, you know, past is no predictor of future results. But when you look at history, we've always recovered from these times. The challenges are always slightly different, but we always recover. And we are a very resilient economy. We get back growing. We get back to doing what we do well. And that is innovate and solve problems. So I, I think just having that mindset for that long-term investor going, yes, this is not this is not pleasant this year. Uh, we've seen all asset classes, like you, Rusty, talked about. All asset classes have been here. There's been really nowhere to hide from the downturn. But yet, there is that optimism about the future that we will get back growing if you just stay diversified, stay invested, stay focused on those long-term goals. I think that is so powerful. And, you know, I appreciate you saying that. Again, past performance, as you said, is not an indication of future performance, but the current bear market is the longest since 2009. So we've gone since 2009 with really not having this type of bear market. Yeah, right. I mean, typically the the bear market's recession, you're talking about two to 18 months. And the ones recently, in recent times, going back to 18 and then of course 2020 very short lived they, they recovered yep. very quickly now well, we, we had know. a fed that jumped in real yeah, quickly then we know. and now we have a fed that's kind of working against us yeah so. just a little but we know that you know they can't go on forever right markets eventually come to you know these type this type of market comes to an end and a decline like we've got in this bear market well guess what when after the next 12 months is usually when it comes out you just don't want to miss that right. that's why managing emotions in this type of market it's something that everybody has to do. Absolutely. And we talk a lot about missing those those best days in the market. That's so you got to so stay in it. You got to stay diversified because it usually turns quick. Scott Jordan uh, always does a great job for us. And stay with us, Scott, because I want to dive in now with Shannon Dyson, who is the vice president of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. He's, he was with us a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about transparent pharmacy benefits. And Scott, you were actually with us during that time too. And I asked him to come back because uh, we were talking about hidden benefits. We were talking about costs that were, you know, hidden costs. We were talking about rebates. I mean, we got into some pretty deep subjects that I thought, wow, we need to get back into this. But we didn't get a chance to really give you some solutions to some of these issues. Now, when you talk about this, and uh, let me say this, I guess, Shannon, welcome to the program, sir, since you're sitting here in front of me, I need to say that. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. It's good to be back. <laughs> it's good for, to have you. Uh, I, I guess the subject is so powerful because so many people struggle with what their group health plans and, and why there needs to be transparency, and you've kind of become a evangelist for transparency when it comes to preaching the, the message to people about literally there's so much cost and people aren't being transparency and we the consumer are paying the price. Well, first, thanks for, for having me back to talk about some solutions. I feel like we spent most of our time just talking about the problems uh, that arise when there is not transparency. But yeah, transparency in in healthcare is something that has been uh, lacking, I would say, over, over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Um, when there is no transparency, uh, consumers like you and me, employers, um, we have no idea what things cost, what the cost of, of medications are, what the cost of office visits 
Uh, and if we don't know the costs, how do you compare between different? We compare everything. When, when we go to buy things at the store, we compare prices. We compare car prices. We haven't been able to compare healthcare prices. And um, that's been a big issue. Now, when you say healthcare prices, you're not talking about health insurance. No. Because you do that. A lot of people say, well, I get sure. three quotes, but that's a quote for a blanket to pay for it. But you don't know that you're not comparing the actual cost of a hospital stay, of a surgery, of a drug. That's what you're talking about. Sure. And and there are there can be drastic differences uh, between um, just this look. We're talking about pharmacy today. So uh, prescription drugs between different pharmacies, there can be a, a drastic difference in the price that you would never know because your plan may call for a $10 copay or a $20 copay for a certain type, whether it be a generic or a preferred brand drug. And no matter what pharmacy you go to, as long as it's in network, you pay that same copay, but you have no clue what the price of the prescription is. And the reason that matters is because somebody is paying the rest of that cost of the prescription. And if we're not making wise choices, Eventually, prices go up. We have healthcare inflation like we've seen over the last 20 years. And most of the time, that somebody has to do with either the employer or the employee. That's just the body that's, that's what right. you're talking about. So that's right. You've talked about pay for performance. So this, let's dive into this. And we've got it's about seven minutes to go. I want you to really give us some of these pharmacy benefit manager, pay for performance. What does that mean and why is that so important? The first thing is to know that if if you have a a self-funded plan as an employer, you can choose your pharmacy benefit manager. Um, And so some of the things that you want to look for when you are choosing, the first one, Jim, you mentioned is the pay for performance business model. Um, Right now, many pharmacy benefit managers are on a pay for service or a fee for service type of model, which has been going on for for many, many years. And the problem with that is that for every type of service, like a prior authorization or a number of scripts filled per month, they're getting a fee. The pharmacy benefit management company is getting a fee. Whether they are performing well or not performing well, it doesn't really matter. They're getting the same fee. So what a pay for performance model does is it holds the pharmacy benefit manager accountable to the employer. So they, we, we know with employers what we're expected to spend on certain types of drugs throughout the year. If they're not performing, we know that on the front end and we can address that situation early uh, instead of not knowing what's going on. My guest, Shannon Dyson, Vice President of Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. We're talking about some strategies that employers can use to lower their health care spending. And that's so important. He's just covered pay for performance. This is about transparency, comprehensive clinical programs. I mean, I read this note that you sent me. It said the United States spends about 200, excuse me, 21 billion, B, billion on medication errors and 935 billion in overall healthcare waste each year. I'm not sure where you got that statistics. I'm sure you do know that. So you know. Th- those aren't small numbers. No, Th- those are those are big numbers. That just blew me away. A comprehensive clinical programs. Uh, that's something that we have to demand in a pharmacy benefit uh, management company. Uh, we want to make sure that the prescriptions that we are being prescribed are actually medically necessary, um, and that's what we're talking about here. And we talk about waste and and spending where we don't need to spend. Um, this is part of the problem that we saw in the opioid pri- uh, crisis from 20, 2011 through 2016. Um, 40% of overdose deaths involved a prescription opioid during 40%. that time. 40%. Uh, and that, that's, again, a big number. There, there's, 
when you talk about comprehensive clinical programs, we have to make sure that we're not over-prescribing. Uh, one of the things that can, that can help that is a starter dose. We're just talking about opioids right now, a starter dose. A starter dose would mean, okay, you're going to have a surgery. We're going to give you one day's worth of of opioids, whatever that, whatever the prescription is, if you need more, we can address that at that time. Uh, during that time period of that five years, doctors are prescribing a couple of weeks worth uh, when the surgery may not have resulted in much pain after. And so that's a problem with not having a clinical program within a pharmacy benefit management system that says, whoa, wait just a second. We need to limit some of these prescriptions. You talk about, you know, a clinical program that's comprehensive. They're limiting that and stuff. You also talk about complete care coordination. And to me, coordination, boy, that's powerful when you use that. We have to be coordinating between primary care physicians, specialists, retail pharmacists. Um, it, the healthcare system is so complex um, that you have to have a clinically driven pharmacy benefit model. Um, it protects the employers. It protects uh uh, prescription spending. It protects the employees. Um, and the problem today is that many of the pharmacy benefit managers rely mainly on rebates from drug manufacturers to determine which prescriptions they're going to put in their formulary lists. Um, and we can't just rely on what those rebates are. We have to know that these are actually medically necessary and that we're coordinating benefits between all of the different types of doctors that you would see. Yeah, that's scary when you mention the word rebate. That's kind of almost like, um, I'll do this if you give me this. And that's not always got the best interest of the consumer, of the patient in mind. I'm not knocking it. I'm going to be careful what I'm saying because, but this, when I use the word, somebody uses the word rebate, it just kind of makes me go nervous. Well, look, there's a lot of money and profit in, in prescription programs. We, we know that. I mean, that's been the leading increase of healthcare costs overall for many, many years. So we do have to be careful. We, we do need the rebates from the manufacturers, but we also need to make sure that it's in relation to what the actual client or patient needs. That's perfect. So now we can use the word, you started with this word, transparency. So let's finish with this word, transparent contracting, and you've used the term drug pricing. Yeah, you, you, you cannot have, I mean, first of all, complicated contracts uh, in, in the pharmacy benefit management world allows for some of the things that we talked about last time that I was here, spread pricing and uh, steering towards drugs that give the highest rebates. We can't have that. We have to know exactly what the prices are from the drug manufacturers themselves, and we have to then be able to make those right decisions. Um, and the pricing is the biggest part, uh, one of the biggest pieces of this, uh, because there's, we talked about at the beginning, you don't know the price of a prescription, so you just take whatever is prescribed, you take it to the pharmacy, and you say, I will take this, and I'll pay you my $15 copay. Um, but there are so many examples of prescriptions where if you just knew a little bit of information, you can make a much better decision. That's a little bit of information, but goes a long way. A long way. And Absolutely. That's so critical for people. Yep. All right. Let me just say this. You've done a great job. You are the advocate, the preacher, the evangelist. You're speaking the word. Now, let me say this to everybody listening. If you want to talk to Shannon, this all you got to do is call him at 757-5757. This is a way to change the medical cost for you personally, for your employee, the employer going through this process, but you got to figure it out. You got to walk through it. So you want to do that. And I just want to thank you. Thank
thank you, you know, all three of you guys. Well, let me say thank you to Rusty. He's gone. But Shannon, Scott, thank you guys for being on the program. Great to be here, Jim. Thanks, Jim. And you, you do a great job. Of course, to remind you that you can find the show, if you'd like, Talk Money on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We appreciate it. If you have questions, I've told you before, t- type them to Jim. To the text line, 901-683-0989 or send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Next week, we're going to talk about don't panic because there's so much going on. Steve Anderson, Scott Jordan, and then we're going to talk about aging with dignity with Paul Malley. That's Saturday morning at 7 and again Sunday at 9 o'clock. That's the program. You don't want to miss it. I want to thank my producer, Tyler Springs, guest and content coordination, Francis Fordner, production and marketing assistant, Lauren Norsworthy, and compliance officer, Mr. Tommy Armstrong. Thank you so much for listening today. We appreciate it. We're for you. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Thank you.